0: I'll be reading Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice. It has uh, long been a practice of this church to have a Sunday evening worship service. In addition to a Sunday morning worship service, we feel that uh, we have an opportunity to meet again and to sing and to pray and to study together. And we hope that you will take advantage of that opportunity today at 6 p.m. We can gain some rich blessings by considering some of the wonderful worship scenes that are provided to us in God's Word. And if we look at those scenes thoughtfully, we will be lifted up and filled with awe. Some people hearing that would immediately think of those worship scenes in the book of Revelation. And they are inspiring. But you don't have to go to the last book of the Bible to see worship scenes because you can see them in the very first book of the Bible. Picture in your mind, if you will, Abraham raising a knife to kill his beloved son Isaac, whom he had laid on the altar to sacrifice at God's bidding. Surely he does not completely understand why. God had never asked this of anyone before. And yet though he may not understand fully, he is determined to comply. But a voice from heaven stops him before he takes his son's life. And it is God himself who speaks from heaven. Genesis 22 verse 12. And tells him, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I don't know that we can fully imagine the emotion that Abraham must have felt at that particular moment. He he lifts his eyes and he sees a ram caught in a thicket. And that ram will take the place of Isaac and will become the burnt offering that God desires. Would he be worshipful? Certainly Abraham would be. And no wonder he names that place the Lord will provide. Because in that worship scene, Abraham sees that God is a great provider. Move forward now many years to the time of Daniel. Daniel, devoted to God as a youth, is now much older. And he's been reading the words of his fellow prophet Jeremiah, and he understands from those words that the long captivity of the Jews in Babylon is nearly over. Will his people be ready for it? Daniel prays. He prays fervently. He pours out his heart to God as he expresses his deep concern for the welfare of his people. Was Daniel worshipful? Of course he was. One hundred years later, we come to the time of Nehemiah. And he has led his people in rebuilding the broken down walls of the beloved city of Jerusalem. And now Ezra has gathered the people and he reads to them the law of Moses, the covenant of God with his people. They are standing, as he reads, out of respect for that word of God. But before long, they are now bowing down and are worshiping God. They weep as they hear the law because they understand that they have not really lived up to it in its fullest meaning. Were they worshipful? Absolutely. What what great worship scenes we have in the Bible. And yet here is a problem. Is it possible that when we think of those great occasions recorded in the Bible, that we believe that such experiences can only be in the past? Or or do we believe that we, today, can have meaningful worship experiences? We not only can, we should. When does great worship take place? Well, first of all, that we have to make a commitment to worship. Worship is never accidental. It's always intentional. And so someone who is going to worship must make his mind up, I am going to worship. But we also have to meet the criteria that God establishes for that worship. Jesus, in talking to a Samaritan woman long ago, John 4, And verse 23 and 24 tells her, But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, Jesus says, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Both of those elements are essential to real worship. Our spirit has to reach out to God's spirit. And we must do what we do in that reaching out by meeting the test of truth at the same time. If if we try to worship but not according to truth, it doesn't make any difference what our longing is. We must have truth as well as our spirit reaching out. In true worship, I think it's possible to say that we send four messages. And I want to spend a few minutes with you this morning thinking about those messages. First of all, we send a message to God. Our worship sends a message of respect. Worship, one of the words translated worship, literally means to fall on the ground in front of. It is a humbling of oneself for the object of our worship. And you and I figuratively fall at God's feet in recognition of his majesty. When we come into a setting of worship, we are saying, God, you are great and we respect you. Our respect is shown by carrying out our worship activities exactly as he has ordered them. It is disrespectful for us to substitute what we want for what God wants. There is no respect in having our own way in worship. And our message to God says, we love you. We love you for your goodness, for your kindness, for your enduring love. And while we're sending that message of love for God, we understand that we're simply returning what he's already given to us. In 1 John 4 and verse 9, John would write, In this is the love of God, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son To be the propitiation for our sins. We love him. Because he first loved us. And and we acknowledge that. We we don't say God we love you. Even if you don't love us. We love you because we know you love us. Our message to God. Is one of praise and adoration. We, We want to do as David wrote. In Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Our praise is for the marvelous way that God has worked his plan throughout the centuries to redeem man from his sins through his son Jesus. We adore God for what he is, the eternal father of us all. And when we sing our praise and when we lift our voices in in prayer, we are saying to God, Thank you. That's one message. But we also send a message to the world. And that message is that it is right to worship the God of heaven. And, and that we intend to do it whether others do it or not. That we're not waiting for the approval of society to worship God. We, we're we going to do it. And we recall Paul's words in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. That when we eat the bread and drink the cup as we observe the Lord's Supper, we are remembering him. For as often as you eat this bread, he would write, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Obviously we proclaim it to each other, but we're proclaiming it to the world as well. We're telling the world, we believe that Jesus died for our sin, that he was buried in the grave, but that he did not stay in the tomb, but that he arose from the dead victorious over it, never to die again. And we believe that he will come from heaven to take us to be where he is. The Jews built a temple. That temple reflected their faith in the God they worshipped. Today, you and I do not meet in a physical temple. Instead, we are told in 1 Peter 2 verse 5 that we are living stones in a spiritual temple. And as we gather together in our spiritual temple, we are telling the world we have faith in the God of heaven. And we intend to worship him. In the third place, we send a message to each other. When Paul was instructing the Corinthians about proper worship, he wrote this. Let all things be done for edification. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 26. To edify means to build up. We know what an edifice is. It's a building. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians that we need to make sure that when we worship, our goal is to build each other up. Worship gives us an opportunity to help each other. If I come to help you and you come to help me, we both benefit. If I come only to help myself and you come only to help yourself, we are not accomplishing the greatest good that we could accomplish. Turn in your Bible, if you will, to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Familiar words, but words that need to be read again and again. The inspired writer in Hebrews 10 at verse 23. Says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You see, our presence makes a difference. Some people think it really doesn't matter whether I'm there or not. It does. Because you cannot encourage someone if you are not with them to encourage them in worship. Our worship together sends this message. We care about each other. We're we're glad to be a part of the same spiritual family. And we gladly sing, bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. One final message. We send a message to ourselves. And and in that message we we reaffirm, this is where I need to be. This is where I ought to be. This is where I want to be. I want to be a part of that great worship opportunity. If we come with the right attitude, we know we will be better because of the time that we spend here. And we are encouraged to be more devoted to God and more in tune with his will by the message that we send to others and to ourselves. Our worship tells us this is what I need to face the challenges of the world. This is going to help me on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and then I'll be back with God's people again and I'll be helped all over again. This is going to help me get closer to heaven. And so this morning what I am suggesting to you is do not sell worship short. We gather together in a special time and we need to make it a special time. It needs to be a time when God is honored and we are helped. And if we come with the right attitude and do the right things, both will be accomplished. I need also to tell you, though, that our worship, your worship, needs to be in Christ. That means in his body. God was not content to let Cornelius be a charitable praying man outside of his kingdom. And so he directed Peter to him so that he could teach him. And the result was that he was immersed into Christ and became part of his body. You need to be a part of that body. And if you're not this morning, we offer an invitation to you to encourage you to turn away from your sins after believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And with your mouth making that good confession and allowing yourself to be immersed so that your old life can end and a new life can begin. A life that can be dedicated to worship. If you're in Christ already, but you've not been taking advantage of the opportunities that you've had through worship, perhaps because you have intentionally absented yourself from worshiping with God's people, you need to make that right. And if we can help you do it by praying with you and for you, won't you come now?